1: No purchase necessary boy work prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lock code radio.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Money Talk Radio. This is your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ProServe Public Relations, a business development public relations firm serving law and finance professionals. We work hard to bring you new and pragmatic content on both our weekly shows. On Tuesdays at 4 o'clock Central, we bring you Law Talk Radio. And on Thursdays, we broadcast Money Talk Radio program also at 4 o'clock Central. Today's show is Facing the Costs of Retirement with John Graves. John Graves John is a registered investment advisor and the author of The 7% Solution. John Graves is our guest today. He will appear and present his thoughts on facing the rising cost of retirement. Um, he is a registered, again, investment advisor and the manager of some $400 million in assets, as well as the editor of The Retirement Journal. He has uh, more than a few retirement tips for businesses and employees in these tough times. Graves has solutions for both businesses and individuals, working with the basics of time objective information and common sense Graves book again titled the 7% solution may help some of us solve some of our problems for more information you can visit a website it is www.theretirementjournal.com again theretirementjournal.com we do have a great show for you this afternoon we open up to callers uh, telephone number 917-889-9732 option 1 to be placed in the caller queue telephone number again 917-889-9732, 917 889 9732, option one. Of course, our programming is always neutral and objectal. Your counterpoints are always welcome. By way of quick disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice chart on this show does not constitute professional advice. Communication with attorneys and finance professionals on our shows does not give rise to professional relationships. Pro serve public relations that does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all callers remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved. Um, now, it uh, Uh, Without further ado, I'd like to uh, tell you the subject matter. Again, while the headlines are filled with the tribulations of major corporations, the heartbeat of America is also powered by employees and small businesses. Every one of them, from mom-and-pop shops to small companies with a few dozen employees, have to face the fact that those granted the gift of aging will someday not be able to or willing to work. We can politely call that retirement. Uh, once addressed with a gold watch, a fishing rod, and Social Security, both small business employees and employees are sweating the upcoming bill. The expanding legions of self-employed share the fear, and the real estate crisis and government solutions may have made matters worse. We're going to ask today how small businesses and the average Jane or Joe can really afford retirement. Our guest, John Graves. Thank you. Well, John, uh, this is a good thing to talk about. Uh, I'm myself and I'm 35 and not really thinking about retirement yet, sort of because I assume that I'll be working uh, until the day that they find me cold at my desk, so to speak. When they pry the microphone from your cold dead fingers. Yes, and the keyboard and the BlackBerry, uh, or, <laughs> or you know, who knows what we'll be doing, um, you know, in that day and age. So, uh, tell us a little bit first about uh, your career, uh, how you got to do what you do now, uh, what led you there, and then let's talk a little bit about your book.
1: Thank you. I've been a financial advisor for 28 years, and we have an independent firm here in California servicing clients across the country and several overseas. We manage about $400 as you said. And I got started because I enjoy both people and money and providing folks with good guidance on how best to be wise about your wealth.
0: Okay, now the book. Tell us a little bit about the book.
1: The book, 7% Solution, is... A gift from me to my generation of baby boomers, those of us who were born between 1946 and 1964, we're just beginning to retire now, there's 78 million of us, and many of us are concerned about that approaching deadline of, now I'm going to retire, what am I going to do next? Can I afford to retire? Who is this person I've been living with for 40 years and why is she re- he rearranging that? the spice cabinets. So we face emotional, psychological, and financial challenges during our time, and the point of the book is to help us through those challenges. I think that most of us were taught four good basic lessons by our parents in the 50s when we were children. And the first lesson was to save something. When we had our first job, a paper route or babysitting. Our folks typically made us put aside 10% of what we made from that. So we earned a dollar. We had to put a dime in an envelope to save it. The second lesson was that they taught us to tithe, that we also needed to give 10% of what we made um, back to our church. And so we also had to put a dime aside for that, for the plate on Sunday. The third lesson they taught us was more indirect in that we saw how Negative, their views were towards debt, how difficult it was for them to seriously consider buying a home or seriously consider buying a car. And long discussions at the kitchen table ensued. So we learned that debt was to be taken on, not lightly, and in the attitude of if we're going to take debt on, we really should try to get rid of it as soon as possible. And the fourth overreaching idea that we were taught as children was to be frugal. To live within our means. And living within our means is a phrase that we hear more and more today from politicians. Um, President Obama used it a few days ago. We need to live within our means. And the more that we individually are able to do that, the more we're individually able to afford retirement and able to look forward to a, a joyful retirement.
0: Well, Those are good lessons, and I think that some of the baby boomers have also transitioned these on to uh, children as well. Uh, I hope that's the case more often than not, Um, but looking at some of these lessons... The first question that I have is what happens when you're the baby boomer? You're, you know all these lessons. You're trying to do everything. Now you've got kids that are going to college. You've got other expenses. The home that you had a, a more equity in is now being used uh, somewhat as a, as a credit card um, with costs and things. You know, so many things happen uh, in life. And in, in our last, you know, our recent, last recent 10 years, things few people would have predicted would, would have wiped out a, a lot of people. So, um I guess that's a, a concern that a lot of people have, that these are good lessons and good ideas, but what happens when um, when there are other variables and factors that come into play?
1: Yes, it's always difficult to deal with the future by remembering the past, and it's even more difficult to deal with the present by trying to think of ourselves in the future. Um, as we're faced with financial challenges, which all of us have been since 2007-2008, we tend to directly or indirectly, consciously or unconsciously, follow that fourth rule, that is live frugally, live within our means. Part of what that implies is that when our income changes, when our expenses change, we tend to tighten our belts. We tend not to spend as much as we used to spend on on things. We might go out to dinner at chulas once or twice a year instead of once or twice a month. Um, We might begin using um food stamps you know something like 47 million people new applicants are using food stamps today that never would have considered it before we might strongly encourage our kid who's a sophomore in college to get a job because no we can't afford to pay that seventeen thousand dollars a year so we adjust and if we adjust successfully then we deal with our present financial difficulties
0: Okay, John. Let's get a little bit of a roadmap for our discussion today. What are some points and some subject matter that we want to hit?
1: Probably the most important thing we can do for retirement is to reward the future person that we are um, by penalizing the, the present person we are. That, by that, I mean if we have a four hundred one k, for example, at work, one of the best games in town is to put a little something aside into that four hundred one k, or whether it's an SEP or a 403B if we work in public area arena. That action of putting something aside, deferring a portion of our salary, is by far the most valuable thing we can do for ourselves and for our future. As we get into our 50s and 60s, we are able to typically save more because our expenses have gone down. The kids are out of the house. We're making more, if we're lucky, than we were in our 30s and 40s. And we have some discretionary income. So if we're making more and we're lucky enough to have more discretionary income, then we can also save more. And as a matter of fact, most of us save most of the money in our 401Ks during the last 10 or 12 years of our earning careers that's by far the best thing we can do for ourselves. Now, if the company that we work for or uh, put something aside for us, for example, they might match the first 3% of our contributions. That makes the game even better because they're offering us a 3% raise and all we have to do is not spend it. So if we put aside, for example, $1,000 a year and they match $30 of that, if we're in a twenty eight percent tax bracket, we're saving two hundred and eighty dollars at the federal level. We're not paying two hundred and eighty dollars of taxes on that thousand dollars. And in Illinois, your tax bracket's there are five or six percent. You're saving an additional fifty or sixty dollars. What that means is that if someone saves thousand dollars over the course of a year, the tax savings alone means that the rate of return they're getting is almost 50%, 48%. Again, the best game in town. Uncle Sam and the governor of Illinois are putting money aside for you by you not paying taxes. So for those people who are not participating in 401K or 403B, it is the best idea you can take in terms of retirement.
0: Let's let's ask a question um, for those who are the, the self-employed because when you don't have a benefit administrator or someone uh, offering uh you know open enrollment periods yep. and you're Sort of left on your own. Um, and I'm thinking uh, immediately of um, we had our, our law school alumni student exchange last night, and I met several of the young students who are uh, graduating and going out on their own now. Uh, I know that they always told us, you start planning now when if you put in to your retirement account before you're 30, uh, so much, you know, you'll make this much more, et cetera. So I think that, you know, to the extent that people are thinking that way, what are some roadmaps or uh, what are some things that people should know as a self-employed as far as setting that up? Good question. I'm self-employed because I own my own company. The
1: single single easiest tool to use is called the SEP, the Simplified Employee Pension Plan. And with the SEP, each of us who are self-employed can put aside up to 25% of our income into that account subject to limits of $46,000 this year. So if we're starting out as a new lawyer, self-employed, and just hanging a shingle on the door, even if you just put aside a few hundred dollars, $300 is 25 bucks a month, even if you start there in your late 20s, fully realizing that you're probably paying several hundred dollars a month to pay back that student loan. By the time you get into your 30s, you've got a family around you, and you become a little more successful, you may increase that to 100 or 125 or 150 a month. As you get into your 40s, late 40s, early 50s, and you've you now run a successful law practice, you now probably have employees. So when you, as the owner of the company, put aside monies into the SEP, this retirement account for yourself, you're also obligated by law to put something aside for those people who work for you people who work more than 300 hours a year for you. So you're giving them a bonus, and they're putting that money aside for themselves. You're putting it aside for them, actually. You're also encouraging them to put something aside, just as you're doing, because they can, in that SEP, defer a portion of their salary for their own future, for their own retirement. So by starting as a young buck lawyer, putting a little aside as you continue to grow and become successful, you're also encouraging the wise management of your resources, not only of your own, but of your employees.
0: Now, John, where can someone go to set up one of these SEP pension plans?
1: You can do it at any brokerage house, at any bank. They're very straightforward. You, The investments themselves or the savings themselves are entirely at your discretion or at your employee's discretion. So you can put money into a money market account or a mutual fund, or by individual securities. That's entirely up to you. It it might take 10 minutes to fill out paperwork to set one of these up. And then each year, your accountant or your CPA, and you will decide how much you can afford to put aside. Because remember, the current advantage of using this is that every dollar you put aside is a reduction in tax liability. So the accountant is going to tell you what you're going to save. Yes,
0: Yeah, it's such a good idea too to uh, set it up. uh, You know, I would suggest to some of our listening audience that it's so easy to set it up through your bank, have it come through, uh, you know, deducted out of your account at the same time other uh, deductions and other things are taken, so you don't really feel it because absolutely right. That's the hardest part, I think, is um, you know, after the money it's deposited into the uh, account, we look at how much we have to pay what bills and what's discretionary income, and uh, it's, just, it's so much easier if we don't see it. Rick, you make a very good point. We
1: use the phrase, pay yourself first. You become the first bill of each month. And as you correctly stated, if you set it up automatically, then you are automatically saving $25 a month or $300 a month or whatever your sums are. By doing it automatically, it becomes psychologically and emotionally painless and it becomes very, very effective
0: text-wise. Such good, uh, such good suggestions. We have, I have a few more questions. We're going to pause quickly for our first uh, event message break, and then we'll be back with John Graves. Our first event message we want to let you know about, uh, the, critic, the title is Critical Financial Estate Planning and Asset Protection Planning Decisions to Make in 2011. Again, Critical Financial Estate Planning, Asset Protection Planning Decisions to Make in 2011. The event is sponsored by Today's Chicago Woman and the Metropolitan Club of Chicago. The event takes place on Thursday, October 27th from 7.30 a.m. To 9:30 a.m. Panelists presenting are number one, Micheline Gordon. She's an attorney and of counsel to Anthony J. Madonia in Associates in Chicago. She's an attorney and estate planner who's been working with businesses, individuals, and their families to protect and preserve and transfer wealth for 25 years. Next, we have Susan Templeton, who is founder and managing partner of Stafford Wells Advisors, a Chicago wealth advisory firm who works with families and individuals in planning and investment for their future. Next, we have Henry Silverman, PhD, from Roosevelt University, faculty and assistant professor in finance, teaching courses in mutual fund investment, financial markets and institutions, as well as international financial analysis and investment theory. To register, please contact uh, uh, anyone at the email. It's R S. This email is RS, rsv.com. P T C W again, RSVPTCW at Madonia.com, which is M-A-D-O-I, or M-A-D-O-N-I-A, So R-S-V-P-T-C-W at Madonia.com or by dialing 312-626-2916. Again, 312-626-2916. We want to let you know that ProServe Public Relations creates awareness for your speaking engagement, networking events, and educational series and webinars. We do advertise events here on the show as well as spread the word through additional public relations and marketing channels. You can give us a call at 312 505 Two six zero four to see how we can help attract more people to your event. That telephone number, again, is 312-505-2604. Also, if you ever have guest suggestions for our Money Talk Radio broadcast, please let us know by dropping us a note on our website or Facebook page by uh, searching for Money Talk Radio under the Facebook search tab. Now, back with our uh, guest today, John Graves. We're, again, talking about facing uh, financial planning for the future and I've talked a little bit in our first segment about the value of 401ks, Uh, talked a little about self-employed pension plans. My next question, uh, John, for you, what about life insurance? So many people tell us that life insurance is a good opportunity and a a good investment vehicle. Um, Some of us know about uh, withdrawing or borrowing against those policies. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts and where they lie on on investments in life insurance.
1: I'd be glad to. Uh, first, I'd like to reference your uh, your good commercial there. Um, attending an estate planning seminar by those folks is um, to be highly regarded and excellent useful information, I'm certain. Regarding life insurance, life insurance is a tool best utilized in youth or by families with what's called term insurance. It's very inexpensive. It typically may be available through the workplace for certain amounts, Um, And because, as you said earlier, as useful people, as families, we need to watch our pennies, Um, buying term insurance very inexpensively offers the protection to our surviving spouse, to our families in the unfortunate event of our passing away. So you want to spend as little as possible for that to give them the economic value that we would represent to the family and to replace that. With life insurance. And we can typically typically buy 1, 5, 10, 20, or 25-year term policies, which simply means that the annual premium is fixed for that period of time. So first out of the gate, term insurance is typically the best choice. As we mature, as our practices or businesses or um, enterprise grows, we tend to develop surplus capital. We tend to develop Significant discretionary income. As we do so, of course, the first place to sock that money away is in tax qualified accounts, as we discussed last time 401ks, SEPs, 403bs, etc. Once we've filled that pot up to maximize the value there, again, $46,000 if we're under 50 years of age this year, once we've filled that pot and we still have extra dollars with which we'd like to save for retirement. Now life insurance vehicles become a an important consideration. As a COU I have been involved deeply in the insurance industry for twenty eight years, so I I'm comfortable with and know how they work. My perspective is this Rick. When you use what's called a cash value of insurance contract, whether that's whole life, universal life, or variable life, when you use one of those types of contracts, your intention should be to fill it up full of money every year all the way up to what's called the MEC, the Modified Endowment Contract Premium Limit. If you do that, you will take mo best financial advantage of the policy itself. So that's my, my five
0: cents on life insurance. Mm-hmm. As far as drawing from these policies in a time of need when you could, let's say, draw from a 401k or something mm-hmm. else. Just in the event something happens, I, I suppose people are maybe also considering uh, balances on credit cards. What are your thoughts there?
1: If we are placed in a situation where we need to draw upon our savings, then number one, we certainly should have savings in the bank account, in our savings account. Typically, those savings should be between two and six months' worth of our family, monthly expenses. So if we need to draw down, then that's the first place to turn. The second place to turn would be a withdrawal from a 401K uh, because you're essentially borrowing from yourself. You have to pay that money back over at least five years, uh, sometimes as long as 30 years, but you must pay that back from your paycheck through human resources on a regular basis if you do so in an appropriate manner that withdrawal is not taxable and the interest that you're paying on the withdrawal you have to pay a, a base interest rate on that is a loan the interest that you're paying goes back to yourself so you're essentially taking money out of your left pocket and putting it into your right pocket or taking it from one person putting it into the other person uncle sam doesn't get any of that action thirdly if you there are limits to which how much how much you can borrow from your 401k and Um, you you can't exceed those limits. You also need to be aware that if you are terminated or leave the firm, any loan that you have against that 401K or 403B is immediately due. So you need to pay that loan off in 30 days. So there's caveats to be aware. Come to life insurance. If we have, over the years, developed a cash value insurance contract, let's call it a, a universal life contract, and we have money in that, we can also turn to that. And again, we're essentially borrowing from ourselves. And we can borrow from that up the um, an amount up to the pr- total premiums that we've paid into the contract. what's called a cost basis. So if over the course of 10 years we have put in $15,000 a year, the maximum uh, amount that we could have, and we've got 150000 in there, say another $10,000 of earnings, we could borrow down to that um, contract contribution limit. Um, it, that becomes a third revenue source if we absolutely need to do so. So it it is a uh, a bank, if you will, that we can turn to in times of need.
0: I think that there is. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who don't really understand uh, what they're dealing with with their life insurance as an asset. I know is that so many of our uh, guests who talked about estate planning, some of the attorneys have talked about uh, people not realizing the value of the asset there uh, with some of these uh, life insurance policies that, once the uh, I- the event uh, taking place uh, after uh, someone passes. That now your estate uh, is substantially increased by the value of these uh, policies. So, again, something certainly not to uh, overlook. What are some other things that you talk about in your book for those who are facing retirement in the next 10 to 20 years and had made the best plans based on good lessons that they were taught uh, by you know, baby boomer parents? Uh, what happens now? What are some of the things that, if everything's going awry, where do we start over?
1: Well, if we've been wise about saving and if we've been successful in our careers, we have developed a, a larger and larger nest egg. And retirement, to our mind, is that point in time when you can work or play as you choose. We may retire at 40, we may never retire. It's up to each one of us. One of the interesting aspects about retirement is, according to a recent AARP survey, More than 90% of those people who are in retirement either do or want to continue to keep keep their hand in work. It's difficult for us to walk away from 40 or 50 years of our careers for many of us. And so we want to, when we carve that 8 or 10 hours a day out of our lives, we want to replace it with something. Sometimes we replace that with part-time work because we have to or because we choose to. Sometimes we replace that with uh, community work or working our, with our family. Sometimes we start a new business or simply putter around the house with uh, new crafts. So if during retirement we're faced with times of need, work oftentimes is fallen back upon to support our needs. The most important part of retirement is, it, from our mind, It is a challenge to face the idea of retirement, and many people who are within a year of retirement are intimidated by it. What am I going to do? Can I afford this? How long will I live? What will my costs be? It's an intimidating time. It's much like getting married or going to college, moving away from the house for the first time. It's a different way of life. However, once people cross that threshold, six months, 12 months into retirement, almost universally they say to me "john i have no idea how i had time to work my life is so busy it is so full and occupied with what i'm doing today" and again going back to the aarp survey 75% of those people who are already who are in retirement say "i'm surprised at how comfortable this is i'm surprised that i really don't need as much as i thought i needed and i'm surprised at how i'm enjoying retirement"
0: Let's talk a little bit about not needing as much as we think we need. Yes. I think that the uh, the recent um, a few years have taught many of us to downsize. What are some of the experiences or what are some of the first things that people can consider cutting? That's a
1: great question. Let's, cutting can be done across a wide variety of our expenses. We find typically that when we retire folks, during that first decade of retirement, their expenses are pretty much in line with what we've told them, about 70%, 72% of what their pre-retirement expenses were. Once they get into their late 60s, early 70s, mid-70s, it becomes more and more of a challenge to spend as much money as they were doing 8 or 10 or 12 years ago. And if you think about it, think about your parents or grandparents. They tend not to consume as much. They tend not to wear as flashy clothing, they tend not to eat out as often. They tend not to travel as much. People tend to become more family-centric around their children and their grandchildren and tend to become more healthy. Baby boomers certainly tend to become more healthy in their, in their lifestyles. As people get into their later 70s and early 80s, again, living a healthy, wise lifestyle, their consumption habits have drastically reduced. They're sleeping more, they're walking more, they're eating wisely, assuming they're healthy, and they're simply not consuming food, clothing, tires, books, etc., as much as they did in their 50s and 60s. So that's a key aspect that most people don't understand, that as they mature, their expenses are in fact going to go down, not up, even given inflation. Go ahead.
0: Good answer. We're going to pause for a short, uh, another short event message, and then come back. And my next question will be: um, as we talk about downsizing and cutting expenses and costs, one of the things we look at is housing. And for those who are fortunate enough to own their home, um, that's that presents one set of options. Um, there are also other options available, and some people look at moving to different locations and, um, you know, going into different. Um, you know, There are just so many options, so I'm curious as to your thoughts on what to do with the home and where you're living when you retire. But we're going to ask you that right after we pause for our next event message. And the next uh, event actually is going on tonight in DuPage County, Illinois. It's the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois' West Suburban Practice Group's annual open house. It's taking place tonight at Carlucci's Restaurant in Lombard. Actually, that's Downers Grove, Lombard and the border, uh, at the intersection of I-355 and Butterfield Road. Road the event takes place from five to seven PM. You can meet the attorneys, financial, and mental health professionals who team up to provide collaborative divorce solutions. Guests will include professionals who might want to become a collaborative fellow, as well as some of the family law judges from the DuPage Family Law Division and affiliate professionals who are utilized in the collaborative process. This is an invitation only event and a space is limited. You can email Connie Walsh at Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E at your Dot com Again, that's Connie at com We want to remind our listeners out there to share our broadcast links in your social networks. Many people do find our shows on their friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages, and we thank all of you for your support in sharing our programming. And now back to our guest, John Graves. John and I were talking uh, briefly about some of the things we can do to cut costs in retirement and realize that um, there's less that we really need that uh, we sort of get used to cutting expenses. And my next question is, what do we do about our living situation? Now, one of the things that I think of is uh, the opportunity always to move further out of the city into a suburban or a rural setting where costs are, are much less, but there's also less to do. I'm curious, John, what some of your thoughts are and what some of the feedback you've received.
1: I think that's a great question. Thanks. Um, by the way, I've eaten once at Carlucci's. That's a nice restaurant.
0: Yeah, it's a good place. Yes, it is. Um, the
1: single most valuable thing that we as baby boomers do as we approach retirement regarding our homes is pretty simple. We've paid off our house. We don't have a mortgage. According to the EBRI, the Employee Benefit Research Institute um, Annual Survey, Retirement Confidence Survey in March of each year, 68% of us boomers have no mortgage against our homes. That's a pretty interesting number. So if we're, to use an example, paying $2,000 a month on a mortgage and we have finally burnt the mortgage at a party with the kids and ourselves, we've increased our income by that $2,000 a month. That's a lovely thing. That's by far the most powerful thing we can do. In terms of managing our expense, reducing our overhead during retirement, you mentioned early moving out to the suburbs, and that can also be an effective means. Uh, many of us who have homes, um, we've had the homes for years. We typically bought our first home in the early or mid 70s, and it has appreciated. Now, many of us have certainly moved, agreed, but the homes that we've owned have appreciated in value, irrespective of the last three years real estate debacle, and so we have equity in our homes. If we choose to, we might sell it and move out of the city, move to the suburbs. Dare I say move out of Illinois? No, I didn't say that. Um, We might choose to move to a a less tax-intense state. Uh, We might choose to simply move to another county, and yes, it might be a little further to commute for entertainment, but we typically move, when we do so, closer to our children. Um, We are a family-centric generation. We enjoy time with our grandkids. We enjoy time with our kids, generally speaking. We also enjoy leaving them. But if we're going to move, we tend not to move too far away from the kids and the grandkids.
0: One of the, uh, you know, what if you have it? Let's let's say, let's say our house is not paid off, Um, and you know, I I I know that you're in an eight hundred five area code. I have uh, family members in Santa Barbara, and I know that um, some who live right near the beach, let's say for example, maybe renting. Then what?
1: Renting is not a bad option.
0: You don't need to own property.
1: Now. Sixty four percent of us uh, the families in the US do own property. It's down a little bit from sixty nine percent as a high, but still uh, essentially two thirds of the nation owns their own house. But there are many of us who choose to rent or have to rent for whatever reason. Renting is not a bad choice. It's it may allow us to enjoy a lifestyle, for example, on the beach in Santa Barbara, that we couldn't afford if we bought the home because those homes are quite expensive. Um, other options may be to move to places like Florida or Arizona, if we like, can deal with the weather there—a little bit different from the weather in, on the lake. But by moving to those arenas, the real estate there has just gotten clobbered in the last three or four years. So it is not at all unheard of to find a two-bedroom, two-bath condo on the beach in Palm Beach, Florida, for. Or in Phoenix, a single-family residence, two-bedroom, two-baths for $100,000, $105,000. Much like finding a one- or two-bedroom on Miracle Mile, has probably gone down by 40% in the last three years. The point is that if we have equity in our property and if we choose to leave the city, then that equity can work to our advantage, particularly during times when the real estate market has just crashed. Yes, we've lost some equity in our home here in the city, but we can take that cash if we choose and buy less significant property to meet our needs in other locales.
0: The thought of uh, <laughs> the thought of flexibility really comes to mind in allowing ourselves to entertain ideas of moving to other locations uh, or, or venues. I think so many of us um, are, I think planning ahead and thinking that, uh, you know, five years from now, if I'm going to retire in five years, I'm going to move to some other place. It seems so implausible uh, and so uh, difficult to even conceive of that. But I suppose that uh, those who, act, who do take that plunge and move, let's say from uh, Illinois here to Arizona, for example, or Florida, um, I suggest if it's, if you don't like it, you can always move back. I suppose, but it's it's true that you can find property for uh, real reasonable prices, uh, and I think that we get so used to the prices we pay in the city, whether we're in, in downtown Los Angeles, New York, or Chicago. Uh, there are so many other options out there. But I really like the idea of focusing on, on family as well. Um, what are some of the other things, John, in your book that uh, you talk about? Again, the the 7%. Uh, tell us what the 7% is so significant.
1: Thanks very much. The uh, Let's just address your observation just for a moment you just made. As we get closer to retirement, we tend to spend more time traveling, and we might spend a few weeks and find a place that we like in Palm Beach or in Scottsdale. We would tend to go back, revisit that three or four, five, six times during various parts of the year to make sure that we enjoy it. And then during the last year or so before retirement, we're probably going to be pretty wise about shopping for a piece of property there. So we tend not to jump before we make a decision. Uh, Now, back to the 7% solution. Thanks for bringing that up. The core of the book simply says that you can earn as much as 7% off of your retirement portfolio by making a wise choice of individual stocks and individual bonds and spending time managing that process, that, that portfolio yourself. The point of the book is, actually, you don't need to have someone like myself. You can certainly take advantage of us, but you can do this your own if you enjoy changing the oil in your car, if you enjoy working in the garden, if you enjoy working out at the gym, and if you enjoy cooking. If you're that type of hands-on person, guy or gal, managing a portfolio is not that hard. As a friend of mine says, it's not rocket surgery. Now, many people in my profession to make it as difficult as possible, um, and I take exception with that point of view. So the 7% solution simply says, here are ways in which you can do this if you choose to do so. If you have the inclination to do so, here are ways to choose stocks, here are ways to choose bonds, and here is a way to manage the portfolio. It is not time-consuming. It only takes a few hours a week, and during weeks, as we've had in the past six or seven weeks, it can be frustrating. Nevertheless, it's I think, more valuable for those people who are willing to do the work to do it on your own. And you're certainly going to get a better rate of return, hence the
0: 7%. Very good. One other thing that comes up um, that your last couple sentences just sort of triggered Um the volatility and consumer confidence uh, is so all over the place it these is. days. And uh, I think that if you watch too much TV, you might put yourself into a panicked state unnecessarily. Thank I think you'll people- make the. A- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what? And and if we're retired and uh, have more, I suppose you know, if we occupy ourselves and are busy, but I'm just afraid of uh, of people who are retired and spending too much time watching TV and uh, you know worrying unnecessarily about things that may be in their control and things that may be outside your control.
1: I agree with you 100%. Nick, I feel the value of radio gives to us is it. First of all, it's an ancient tradition. We've had it since the late 20s. Secondly, it's a tradition where people can have an ongoing conversation, and we typically express facts or opinions. And we listeners tend to know that we're stating a fact or an opinion. When someone watches TV, they have no idea whether they're learning a fact or being shared an opinion with. I think, I have to go to my soapbox, this is an opinion, but I think TV exists to sell advertising. The best way to sell advertising is to get people afraid, as you just said. It's the fear of the day award. What should we be afraid of today? Well, the market was down today almost 400 points because numbers out of China showed that real estate was declining and consumer confidence in China was declining. So what? What does that impact upon our 10 or 20, 25-year goal of saving for retirement? That's a blip on the radar screen. It makes much more sense to turn the box off Get a book, go out into the garden, go work on the car, listen to the radio. Do something else other than deal with the fears that we're constantly
0: bombarded with. Maybe read a newspaper.
1: Oh, my gosh, read. Good heavens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I find that newspapers are, are real nice. Um, not as yeah. Interact- it's it's interesting in the world of media, um, you know, especially. My job being what it is, I need to follow, and and tonight we'll need to write something about the new changes on Facebook. It's it's incredible how many people I've seen just today posting uh, different comments about the changes to Facebook and why is everything changing, and I keep explaining to people that Facebook, even though they're uh, currently recently with Google named as defendants in a uh, patent infringement suit, they're, they have an IPO coming up, and it's all about, it's all about return on investment uh, to yeah. the shareholders and duty to the shareholders to generate profits, and that all comes through advertising. The reason Facebook is doing what they're doing is because they want you to buy the products of the advertisers. I just think that sometimes people just fail to see this. The other thing I want to note is that so many of you who watch the um, some of the debates and things going on I'll suggest that forming your opinions based on what candidates are going to help us all um regardless of what we're looking for I suppose you know, it's all individual but um you know I looked at you know watching CNN's uh coverage of the Tea Party debate it really seemed more like a football game and I thought that some of the candidates might have been you know better served wearing football jerseys I, I mean Isn't it that was just a, it was a circus it was a circus yeah. Um, yeah, It is and um I get we're going to pause for our final uh, event message um, and resource message, and then I'm going to ask you john what what are your thoughts? I'm not asking you to jump in with any um political ideology, but in choosing a cl- in choosing a candidate and you're looking at retirement, what are some things we should look for? What are some things that are just lip service um You know, as when we're looking for potential candidates and who to follow, what should we really care about and who actually has the power? I'll suggest again that the president is one office held in the United States (laughs) than the executive branch. There's so much more going on in financial systems that really are going to affect our bottom line. So I'll let you chew on that one uh, for a moment and we'll be right back with your answer. How's that? So um, (laughs) our final uh, message today comes from our friends at Market Gauge. Market Gauge applies. Is insider knowledge gained from years of professional trading experience on and off the floor, running money for major New York hedge funds, and currently managing a hedge fund. A market gauge master's traders created the powerful proprietary web based software tools Hot Scans, Big View, the Nuggets List, and the ETF Monitor. These subscription based tools have been built for thousands of individual traders as well as institutional clients such as Reuters, Barron's Online, Fidelity, InterShow, and Townsend analytics. Market Gauge specializes in technical analysis tools and stock tips as well as trader education in swing trading, day trading and the opening range. Michelle Mish Schneider is the director of trading and education and research for Market Gauge. She provides in-depth trader training and the market analyst, writer and host of Mish's Market Minute. She contributes to several online trading publications a series of trading strategy articles called Taking Stock Uh, and also serves as a regular contributor to MarketGage's free newsletter. So, again, MarketGage.com for all things uh, trader, analytics, education, and resources. Now, back to our programming. Again, we want to remind you also to uh, send us questions and comments through our Money Talk Radio fan page on Facebook simply by searching for Money Talk Radio in the Facebook search tab. Also, you can email me directly. Uh, My email is Nick, N-I-C-K, at... Proservepr.com, which is p r o s e r v e p r dot com. All right, now back to John Graves. John, what are your thoughts on? the uh, the fear that's being put uh, to us by so many uh, in, in you know television media. Um, again, I will say that you know my personal uh, bias is newspapers and written media with things that we can fact check and do our own research. I know that sounds sort of old school. Um, it's you know. the right school. <laughs> but uh, you know, I uh, yeah, it says uh, I've been one of those. I, I've been I've been old since I was five, so you know I, I'm on that page. But uh, for so many of us who get our our news from you know whether we're seeing it, um, you know, on our CNN feed on Twitter, or uh, during commercial breaks and whatnot, or on Facebook, other places, you know, we see all of the all the stir about media. Um, again, I'm going to draw it back to the advertising, and I'm, I'll tell you that if you DVR'd the CNN Tea Party debates and then go back and watch watch the ads uh, during the, you know, and all the ads are Exxon, Mobile, uh, oil sands, everything else. Um, it's so hard to filter the information. If you're someone who's looking towards retirement, what should you really look at and where should you do your research?
1: Well, if I can start with the book, one of the points we make is if you're going to do this work yourself, you're going to be researching individual stocks and individual bonds. When approaching an individual stock, my attitude is that you want to find a company that has little or no debt, that pays a strong dividend and has been paying that dividend for several years and has what's called free cash flow. That strong free cash flow supports not only their ability to grow their company, whatever they're selling, but also allows them to continue to support their ability to pay the dividend. The dividend is what you and I as shareholders want to receive during retirement to support our lifestyle. We want those companies to pay good dividends. Having said that, jobs are created in our economy, in our capitalist system, not by government, but by companies, by individuals. Government assists in its own fashion, but government rarely creates a job. Therefore, the assistance is out there, thank you very much. But if I'm going to be an entrepreneur or if I'm going to be an employee, I'm going to, as a self-employed person, drive my idea to market and try to make it profitable so that I have good income and pay taxes on that income and save money for my retirement. If I'm working for someone, then I'm going to do the same thing. I want to do my best at my job so that I continue to stay there and that, he, that employer continues to give me raises and bonuses and contributions to my 401k plan. Jobs, something like 92% of all the jobs created each year are created by employers of less than 200 people. The large companies, Exxon Mobils and the GEs and the GMs, rest, may she rest in peace, etc., don't create many jobs. The jobs are created by the guy down the street, Carlucci's. That's where the jobs are because they're survivors. That's a restaurant. Shoes, great steakhouse. It's a survivor as a restaurant. Um, your radio station hires people. They're survivors through recessions. Those companies that create jobs are the backbone of this nation, and that's what I look for in terms of, if you will, political thrust. I don't care about people's politics. I want to know that they're interested in encouraging capital formation and creating jobs for young, middle-aged, and older people.
0: Now, John, when we look at the the job rates and we see that things things look bleak, um, I guess some of the numbers are the uh, underemployed, and so many I hear so many people say, "Well, I'm receiving uh, some sort of benefit, whether it be unemployment, um, you know, or another type of a benefit," and they look at some of the opportunities that are less than they were making before. They're worried about shortchanging themselves. Um, You know, for those who especially are in in an aging population, there was um, uh, a program I saw um, about a town somewhere in the Midwest uh, where, uh, in fact, there was a manufacturing company that left, um, and the domino effect, you know, took so many people with it. Uh, One of the people was a vice president of a local bank, and the woman was... I think she was, you know, near fifty or over fifty, um, and was receiving retirement or uh, unemployment. And her comment was that the other opportunities were less. Uh, she would have cut into her unemployment. Now, you know, what do you do when a situation like that happens? Uh, what are, What's some advice?
1: That's a tough call. One of the ugly underscience of capitalism is that <clears throat> the economic ladder in this nation goes up and it also goes down. Something like 80% of those of us who are were at one time or another in the, lower, the lowest decile income, the poorest of the poor, 80% of us move up the ladder, second, third, fourth, fifth rungs. We tend to do well, better in life if we're able to literally pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Those people are survivors. They are successful because they are self-driven. So if you're in a situation like this vice president and she loses her position, and I don't know what else to say other than if you you can turn yourself on in the morning and go out and find something, maybe you're doing something entirely different. I mean, heck, I used to be a short order cook in high school. You know, things change. Another interesting aspect is that during the course of our careers, most of us go through three significant career changes, do three different jobs <clears throat> over the 40 or 50 years that we're working. And so we all have to be adaptable. During the 70s, in the Rust Belt 70s in Detroit and Milwaukee, we're suffering horrendous unemployment rates. A lot of folks moved down south. A lot of folks took retraining programs. Offered by the local governments or by the the state governments, and learn an entirely new skill. Uh, Many private institutions teach computer training skills today. Um, University University of Chicago outreach programs for um, mature adults. There are so many different opportunities. What I'm suggesting is that it it makes, to my mind, more sense to stand on your own two feet and redesign yourself, rediscover yourself, explore new opportunities rather than simply accept the median, the mediocre, the average. Oh, I'll take my unemployment for 98 weeks before I take a job.
0: You know, I think that it's such a confidence game and I will I'll suggest this as uh you know I'm 35 um, you know, my parents are thirty years older than I am. They're still my father's still working. Um and he's had my good, age. Yeah, and he's good he's had good job security. He's not had to face uh, some of these, but you know, anything could happen at any time, I suppose. Um and one of the things that uh he and I joke about is he says, you know, you know, keep growing your company and he'd like to work as a consultant for me. <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> dynamic. Um that's a great I, honor well he, he said Wonderful, he you. you know <laughs> so well he you know he's the one who was a photojournalist and pushed me into uh uh the shift from uh law uh you know law to uh p r and I, i'm I'm quite glad for that I enjoy what i do tremendously um but I, I i you know i think yes thanks dad <laughs> as, as i'm sure he does listen into some of these so um but I'll suggest this I see people who are in their sixties who Seem almost disgruntled to be doing a job that they feel is not what they would be doing uh, during their A game. But then I also uh, meet people who are doing other jobs, and you know maybe they're retail, and they're happy because it's an opportunity to do something they otherwise hadn't done. And I'll say this, uh, you know, years back um, I worked at Staples, and I can tell you that Staples was probably one of the best jobs I ever had. It was fun. Uh, you know, it, it really you know it was interesting. Um, it was it was much less stressful um, delivering pizza. I remember years back, also um, <laughs> you know delivering pizza is a fun job because yeah. you're always you always bring food to people. They're always happy to see you. Um, so I really I, I personally think that it's just a confidence game, and if you wear it on your sleeve that you're irritated to be doing or still working or doing something else, people are going to notice that. And when you, you know, when you just stiff upper lip and you know enjoy the opportunity to even have a job, um, and count your blessings and say life is good, um, I, I yeah, think that. at least live um, in Buffalo. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, what I could tell you this that I, I, you know, you never know when you may be, you know, t- taking that other job uh, that you didn't think that you'd like, and you're, you know, arguably underemploying yourself to what you could. But maybe you'll one day, uh, driving to the job that you are not so thrilled with, come up with an idea and start the business you never started before. So again, I just well think it's said. all about a confidence game.
1: Well said, exactly. And it's a confidence game in yourself. You, if you have the confidence in yourself, no matter what happens, to drive forward, to be the Helen Keller that you can be, you are going to win the game.
0: Yes, again, such a confidence game. John, we have about a a minute left before I need to say goodbye or a minute or two here. Could you tell us a little bit about the publication you write for? We haven't really touched on that yet.
1: I designed the Retirement Journal for folks who have more curiosity about learning the ins and outs of getting ready for retirement. I blog or snippet on it every day or so. There are several thousand participants. And we cross-market with uh, Facebook and LinkedIn and what's the other thing called? Twit? Twitter?
0: Uh, <laughs> Twitter, yes, Twitter.
1: <laughs> um, it's great fun to write there. And it's, it's a, uh, a give back to the community. And also one final point about the book. We're giving 50% of the net proceeds back to three different charities. So we I truly try to live the idea of giving back of tithing. So half of the proceeds will go to three charities when the book comes out on February 1st.
0: All right. Well, congratulations and also contact information for those who want to follow up and ask you a question.
1: The retirementjournal.com and the name of the book is The 7% Solution by Safe Harbor Publishing, and it will be out the first day of February.
0: All right. John Graves, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, sir. All right. We'd also like to say thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of Money Talk Radio, brought to you by ProServe Public Relations. Money Talk Radio episodes are programmed to entertain and bring our finance industry professionals, consumers, and guests the tips, tools, and news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. With our guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine from money talk radio and i thank you for your time lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office